Joe Pags Show. To talk to Joe, call 888-941-PAGS. And now, it's Joe Pags. Great to have you. Thanks a lot for stopping by. There's a ton going on. Lots to get to. More news out of New York that we'll get to in a moment. A favorite comedian has died. I had no idea he was even sick. We'll talk about that. We've also got a lot of you uh, listening in Seattle, brand new Seattle listeners. I guess a lot of you, a lot of you are planning to leave that city. We'll talk about that as well. We've got a lot going on. Bottom of the hour is going to be Katie Kuhlman. She's a clinical psychologist. And we're going to talk about the human response, the response that people give to finding out and realizing that they're under attack like in their morning commute, like what what happened in Brooklyn today. And also first responders, their response to not being able to go in and keep people safe because they're, you know, the defund police movement and there just aren't enough cops anymore. You got to have somebody on that train to be able to defend the people who are innocently just trying to go to work. And they didn't have that this morning as far as we can tell. That much more on your Tuesday. Hi. Carrie, what's going on? Hello. Polo get it done? Sam in the house? Great to have you here. They say make sure you stick around for Katie Kuhlman at the bottom. She's a great clinical psychologist. Has a lot to say about what happened this morning and the way people react to it as well. And also law enforcement. She deals with a lot of a lot of first responders, how they feel about situations like this where basically their hands are tied. They're not even able to be there to help things out. So we'll get into all that in this hour. But I want to start out, if you don't mind, um, I was very surprised here that this guy passed away. Did you know that he was sick? I did not. No, I don't know if a lot of people knew that or not. But this is from people. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried has died. He was 67 years old. The actor and comedian's family announced the sad news on his official Twitter account Tuesday alongside a photo of Gottfried. We are heartbroken to announce the passing of our beloved Gilbert Gottfried after a long illness. In addition to being the most iconic voice in comedy, Gilbert was a wonderful husband, brother, friend, and father to his two young children, the family said. Gottfried's longtime friend and publicist, Glenn Schwartz, tells People in an official statement, a beloved and iconic comedian, Gilbert Gottfried, passed away at 2.35 p.m. Eastern Time on April the 12th, 2022, from recurrent ventricular tachycardia due to myotonic dystrophy type 2. Wow. I don't know what that is, to be honest with you. Very sad I to just, hear that he passed. Oh. I looked it up. It's an inherited muscular dystrophy. Oh, man. Yeah. No clue. Yeah. Had no clue. I interviewed him. Um, boy, it's got to be 12, 13 years ago, something like that. And I believe the interview actually happened in the morning show in Houston, and I probably brought it to this show in the afternoon. But he had a book out, and this was, I believe, and again, I could, I could have the year wrong, but I believe that he was in trouble. Well, I know that he was in trouble. Remember the, the reactor that happened um, in, um, which, is it Fushima? Something like that in Japan. Mm-hmm. Where there was a big, and he, and he wrote something on Twitter about uh, looking for his girlfriend, hopefully she'll float by. Maybe it was a, a tsunami. Something happened in Japan, and, um, and he made some sort of joke in reference to it, and that's it. He wasn't the Affleck duck anymore. He was in trouble. We had him on right after that, and he talked about it. I'll see if I can find that. If I have it, it's, it's going to be audio only. Um, but I'm going to look around and see that. It, it, does Fujima sound familiar? There was some sort of a, a, a big catastrophe that happened in Japan. 
And half of me wants to say, half of my brain wants to say it was a, a, a some sort of a tidal wave or tsunami. And the other part of my brain wants to, want, wants to think it's some sort of nuclear meltdown of some sort. Maybe you can uh, see something happen in Japan probably 10 years ago now, something like that. But I had him on, seemed like a really nice guy. He had a book, and the name of the book is A Play on Words. And I'll say them slowly so that I don't say them the way he intended you to read them. But I'm pretty sure the book was called Rubber Balls and Liquor. L-I-Q-U-E-R. Or O-R. L-I-Q-U-O-R. It was about the earthquake and tsunami in Japan. Okay, so earthquake and tsunami in Japan. Mm-hmm. And he got in trouble for that. And he was, uh, that's it. Remember, he was the boy, Aflac. You know, he was that duck. Yeah, yeah. Very for good. a long time. He lost that job. He was sort of canceled by society for a while. He did do stuff after that. And, and again, he wrote the book and he came on and talked about it. Could not have been a nicer guy. Now, I'm not a humongous fan of his comedy. But he had his thing. He had his shtick, and it worked very well for him. And it was very sad uh, to hear. What was he, 67? Is that it? 67, yeah. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, really sad to hear about that. Well, certainly, uh, we hope that he rests in peace. Uh, in New York, when we're talking about the Brooklyn tragedy today, the attack in Brooklyn on the subway, what we're not talking about is another humongous story in that state. Did you know about this before I told you about it? Yes, I did. And you're in the news business, so I'm, I, I'm not surprised you knew. Most people didn't know this. Oh, I would imagine, and, uh, yeah, because they're always, you know, they're talking about the subway shooter, nothing else. Right, and this is something that a Democrat did, and why talk about it? That would be horrible. So, fill people in on what's going on in New York um, legislatively and politically that most people had no clue about. From NBC News, New York Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin resigned Tuesday after he was arrested on charges related to a campaign finance fraud investigation, officials said. Governor Kathy Hochul said Benjamin's resignation was effective immediately. While the legal process plays out, it is clear to both of us he cannot continue to serve as lieutenant governor, she said in a statement. New Yorkers deserve absolute confidence in their government, and I will continue working every day to deliver for them. Hours earlier, the U.S. Department of Justice said Benjamin surrendered to authorities and appeared before a federal judge in New York City. After today's charges, Brian will resign his duties as lieutenant governor and suspend his campaign. He will focus his energies on explaining in court why his actions were laudable, not criminal. James D. Gata and William J. Harrington, attorneys for Benjamin, said in a statement Tuesday evening, he looks forward to when this case is finished so he can rededicate himself to public service, they said. Benjamin's arrest followed reports that Manhattan federal prosecutors and the FBI were investigating whether Benjamin knowingly engaged in a campaign finance fraud scheme. They were also looking into whether Benjamin, in exchange, helped distribute state money to contributors and their projects. An indictment alleges Benjamin was given campaign contributions from a Harlem real estate developer. In exchange, Benjamin attained a $50,000 state grant for the developer's business, although the money was never delivered, the indictment states. The developer allegedly provided Benjamin with two $10,000 personal checks in the names of relatives who did not share the developer's last name. The indictment says the developer allegedly did this to conceal any connections between himself and the contributions. The developer also allegedly gave Benjamin a third check for $5,000 in the name of a limited liability company owned by the developer. Benjamin denies wrongdoing. Wow. So in the past year, the governor, Andrew Cuomo, Democrat, and the lieutenant governor now, this guy, Democrat, are both out of a job. They both resigned um, in shame. Now, Cuomo admitted that, well, I, I didn't mean it, and uh, they, they took me the wrong way, but I understand, and I don't want to be a distraction, and all that. And, and women came out of the, the, the woodwork to say, um, yeah, this guy did the same thing here to me. So he's gone in shame. Then you put Kathy Hochul in there, who's just a fool, 
Uh, she wants to, to, to have people be her disciples or apostles to push the, the vax mandate. And now this guy, and again, he's innocent until proven guilty, but this guy had to step down because of allegations that he was misusing campaign funds. New York is screwed up. New York is really screwed up when it comes to politics, when it comes to politicians. And again, I blame New York City. And you're like, well, why do you do that? There's a much bigger part of New York geographically than New York City. New York City votes for the entire state. Whatever New York City wants when it comes to statewide politics is what they get. And New York City needs to wisen up and not want another Democrat in, um, in the governor's mansion. Enough is enough already. I mean, what exactly is it going to take for New Yorkers to say, you know, this just isn't working out for me? And this sort of is a pretty good segue to the Seattle story. We'll get to that in a second. And I know I'm making you read a lot. I'm sorry. But um, I, I first have to pause for a, a little bit of video from Joe Biden. He was in Iowa today. And he's talking about the economy or something. You saw this video, Carrie? Mm, yes, I did. Or oh, I heard it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the president's standing there. It's about a 12-second video. I'm going to show it to you. If you're not watching the stream, go to JoePags.com, J-O-E-P-A-G-S dot C-O-M, and click on Watch Now if you're listening live. And uh, you'll see this video because many people say that his economic um, policies are for the birds. See what it did there? Uh, Yeah. Again, go there right now. I'm going to play it for you. I'll play it a couple of times. I don't know if there's any audio on this or not, but he's out here giving a speech. Uh, he, he's standing in front of John Deere tractors or something in Iowa somewhere, and uh, and he's talking about his economic plan, which clearly is for the birds. It's not hyperbole. It's about being made in America. A lot of that has to do with this industry. Okay. <laughs> they actually stopped it and did a slow motion replay because as he's speaking, a bird appears to have pooped on his lapel. Now, maybe I'm missing something, but that's exactly what just went down. Let, let, let me do it again. I'll actually show it to you now. If you're at the site, you're going to see this as well as hear it. It's not hyperbole. It's about being made in America. A lot of that has, has to do with this industry. Right there, right after you said made in America, then they, then they do a, a slow motion replay of it. And boom, there it is. Right there. The birds say, yeah, we're not having it. So we'll take it back a little bit. Here it is again. Made in America. A lot of that has Bomb, to do with right this. there. Just, just, Carrie, have you seen this? Yeah, I saw a picture of it. And then, of course, there is a slow motion replay. We'll fast forward to that. And there it is, close up in living color. I mean, when nature turns on you, Joe, maybe you need to reassess those policies. I'm just going to put it out there. I, it was extremely appropriate. I don't think it was ironic at all. I think it was exactly appropriate that, uh, that he got dive-bombed by the bird at that point um, in the speech. Hopefully you saw that. If not, we'll try, I'll try to do a, a TikTok or something on it. You know what's funny about the TikTok, Carrie, is that uh, I one day I have 1.5 million views on a video, okay. and 850,000 on another video. Do similar videos that have like 10,000 views. It's, it, I can't figure it out. I'm not trying to because I've done very well this week. But make sure you stop by on, on TikTok. And again, I do put these videos up on the other services as well. So it's on Twitter, it's on Instagram, it's on, on Getter, it's on Truth Social, which is, again, still building. They had another update today. They're still building there. But uh, this video, uh, today I did videos on um, a guy got arrested for putting I did that stickers on gas pumps. Have you seen these stickers? I did. Oh, yeah. I have seen them. He got arrested for putting them on there. Now, apparently, he was putting clear coat on top of them so people couldn't pull them off. And that might, that might be a problem if you're painting mm-hmm. on somebody's gas pump that you shouldn't be. A sticker, you just remove it, no harm, no foul. 
But uh, I guess he resisted arrest, and as he was being arrested, he was yelling, I did it! I did that! I did that! I mean, it was very odd. So I've got a TikTok on that. We've got one also on um, on the Brooklyn shooting from this morning, and also uh, uh, Bizarro World, as there is a Senate... A, Senate, a senator right now out of New Hampshire, a Democrat who went to the border, Kerry, mm-hmm. of Texas and Mexico and does a video saying that there are gaps on the border that could easily be fixed. I mean, that to me sounds like she's saying build that wall, doesn't it? Uh, this one sounds like, yeah. Democrat. So she's desperate out of New Hampshire um, knowing that she's probably going to be in some trouble. All right, so... I want to get to the Seattle story because I think that this is pertinent when it comes to bad things happening in great cities. And when bad things happen in great cities to a large enough scale, people say I've had enough. And also, I want Carrie to earn her money today. So um, let's go to Seattle if you don't mind. What's the story here? Uh, This is from The Blaze. A whopping two-thirds of Seattle residents have considered moving out of the progressive Pacific Northwest City due to its rapidly deteriorating quality of life, according to the results of a new public survey. Disgruntled residents made clear their dissatisfaction with the city's leadership in a new poll released by the Seattle Metropolitan Chamber of Commerce on Monday, highlighting the high cost of living and the surge in violent crime and homelessness as top reasons to ditch the city in exchange for a new home. Overall, 67% of poll respondents, including majorities from every demographic, said they had actively considered moving out of the city in recent months. While Republicans and independents were more likely to voice consideration of moving, a majority of Democrats and socialists also said they wanted out. What factors are driving residents out of the city? More than 60% said homelessness remained their primary concern, while 46% listed crime, public safety, and 22% cited affordability housing. And meanwhile, comparatively few, just 11% listed racial issues policing as their primary concern. In a press release regarding the poll, the chamber noted the number of voters citing crime, public safety as their primary concern grew by 17 points since the poll was last conducted in April. An overwhelming number of residents said that addressing violent crime and gun violence, property crime like theft and car break-ins and closing encampments and parks on sidewalks and public ways would have the greatest impact on improving quality of life in the city. Moreover, residents signaled strong support for bulking up the city's police force to address crime and homelessness and flatly rejected the city council's anti-police approach to public safety. All right, good stuff. Thank you, Carrie. So let's break this down. you got a, a big, beautiful city there. Just like New York, people are, are flocking to leave. Chicago, Philadelphia, same thing, Detroit. Um, you've got a beautiful city that people who made the city the way it is by voting in the city council, by voting in, you know, by pushing this defund the police crap, by putting up with Chaz and Chop. You've got a beautiful city where two-thirds want to leave, including Democrats and socialists. If I heard you right, the majority of Democrats said they'd like to leave too. Yeah. And their concerns are high crime and not enough police, even though a lot of them were out there marching with the other idiots, the loons, and voting in these idiots at, at city council and the mayor as well. You now want to leave. Let me be as clear as I can. If you leave, which you shouldn't, you should stay there and put people in office that will actually do what's right for the people and get rid of the homeless problem and get rid of the crime problem. But if you leave, remember what your vote did to Seattle. Remember why the city is in is in bad shape because of homelessness and crime and drugs and so on. It's because of the people you elected. Many of you will now fill up the U-Haul and head south or head, head east 
and you'll say, okay, we're in the new place. Let's vote on a bunch of liberals and a bunch of socialists. No, that's the problem. You get, you reap what you sow. You get what you pay for. You, you, you get what you ordered. So make sure that either you stay there and fix it by voting better people in, or if you leave, do not vote the way you did in Seattle because you screwed it up. I hope I was clear about that. 888-941-PAGS, 888-941-7247, JoePags.com. Stay right here. You're listening to Joe Pags. Great to have you. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Lots going on. Dr. Katie Kuhlman at the bottom of the hour. She's a clinical psychologist. We talk about Brooklyn. We talk about human response when it comes to a tragedy like that unfolding right before our eyes. How do we respond? What do we do? What is the natural the natural reaction or reflex? We'll talk to her about that and a whole lot more. Got to remind you about the Eden Pure Thunderstorm. You can get a three-pack right now and save a bunch of money. I'll tell you how in just a minute. It's the best-selling Eden Pure Thunderstorm air purifier. It uses proven oxy technology that quickly destroys viruses, odors, mold, and more. People all over the country, they're raving about how well the thunderstorm freshens their homes. Musty, mildewy smells just vanish after just a few seconds with the thunderstorm being on. Over 200,000 have been sold, so you know it must work, right? I know it works. It's in our house. Any odor will disappear when you use the thunderstorm. Odors from litter boxes, trash cans, cigarette smoke, dirty diapers, and much more. They aren't a match, and no filters to buy. You plug it right into the wall. Don't have to clear out a big space in the house. Right now, you could save $200 on an Eden Pure Thunderstorm 3-pack for the whole home protection. You're going to get three units for under $200. It's a fraction of the cost compared to those very expensive bulky air fresheners go ahead and get get yourself three of these right now go to edenpuredeals.com edenpuredeals.com use my code pags3 p-a-g-s-3 and save two hundred dollars edenpuredeals.com p-a-g-s-3 shipping is free as well all right let's see if we have time to grab a phone call here 888-941-PAGS joepags.com richard um oregon what's going on richard hi how you doing today joe living the dream man one minute it's all yours let's go Awesome. In one minute, I'm going to do this quickly. You might as well take that article you just read about Seattle and slap Portland's name in every slot where it says Seattle. People are moving out of Portland in droves. For the first time in over 40 years, the population has decreased there. And for good reason, because it's run by a bunch of idiots and they keep voting the wrong people in. Exactly. The liberals are constantly voting in the liberals, and they've literally ruined the city. Exactly right. Richard, I appreciate that. And it just goes to my point earlier. Listen, if you're in one of these cities, from what I understand, they're beautiful geographic cities, and they're being ruined because voting has gone to the left. The left again, the far left, and the even farther left. And if you keep on doing that, then decide to just pack up and move out, then vote the same way elsewhere, you're not helping anything. Realize what went wrong in these great cities. Realize how you can fix it just by switching that vote and getting somebody who is less government, lower taxes, lower regulation, and actually cares about safety and security. It's not that hard. Keep it here. Coming back with Katie Kuhlman at the bottom. It is a clinical psychologist, drkuhlman.com. Go and check out her website. We're going to talk about how humans react to what happened this morning in Brooklyn and also policing in cities like that. Keep it here. Joe Pags.
Great to have you along the ride. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Always glad to have this young lady back. She is a clinical psychologist, and it's Dr. Katie Coleman. Doctor, how are you? Good to see you. I'm well, Joe. How are you? Good to see you. Uh, good to see you, too. Glad that we're doing like a monthly thing now. I think this is excellent. And there's always something that we can talk about, whether it's the mentality of, of parents when they deal with what's being taught in their, in their, their kids' schools, or when we've had, we have tragedies that unfold like we see today in Brooklyn, New York. I want to go there if you don't mind. Uh, this morning, as you know, uh, some guy gets on a train on a subway in New York. Ten people end up getting shot. As of our recording, it doesn't look like anybody's going to die, thank God. But ten people are hurt by his gunshot wounds, some of them critical. Another six people, again, this could change as the reporting happens through the day, are injured. And and Katie, this is how my brain works. The first thing I thought of is some television show in the 70s or 80s, and you're way too young to know this, but there was a plane crash. It was, it was a, a, the movie was about a, a plane crash and one guy is walking around. He survived the plane crash and he's like in the, in the swamplands in Florida and he's walking around holding his briefcase and he's looking at his watches. I was in a plane crash and my watch isn't working. And that was just, it was such an odd reaction, but I'm guessing psychologically our brains do something to, to protect us and that might be what he was depicting. So big long lead in. If you're on the subway, God forbid, and something tragic is happening in front of you, what's the human reaction? Is it different for everybody? Well, for most people, you know, the thing is, is that most of us have not been through any kind of massive trauma. Most of us have not ever been involved in a mass shooting or been shot at. And so we really don't know what the reality of that is like until we're actually in that moment. So the people that are on the subway, you know, tip for most of them, there is that moment you know, usually a few seconds, maybe 10 to 20 seconds of absolute disbelief. And when you look back at other mass shootings, for example, and you interview some of the survivors, what they say is that they didn't recognize that it was a shooting going on in the moment. Um, For example, um, during the dark night, many of the people in the movie theater thought that what was happening was that it was like a 4D experience, right. opening night of, of a movie and, you know, that it's that it was part of the movie. And so your your mind doesn't automatically go to, to, to shooting. And, you know, is it protective in that moment? No, because we really want to see the body react. But most people just simply are not trained to do that. Yeah, that theater shooting was in Aurora, Colorado some years ago. And you're right. He walked in in some sort of weird gear that could have been part of the movie. And he just started shooting people. And eventually they realized, oh, my God, he's shooting people. Um, when I saw some video from the subway this morning, one piece of video stands out to me. There's a guy who, along with everybody else, once they realize it's gunshots, is trying to get off the train, but he's really holding on to his coffee. And I was just thinking to myself, this, guy, this guy's coffee is so important that he's trying to save his life, you know, slowly. He wasn't, like, running off the train, and he wanted to make sure he didn't spill his coffee. I mean, it's just, so, again, we're in such a, a system of, of uh, muscle memory. We ride the subway to work. We have our coffee from our favorite place in the morning, and that was an important part of that guy's survival mode was, like, I would have left the coffee there, Katie. I'd been gone. You, you know what I mean? But, but it's almost as if that was part of his routine. Okay, there's a shooting happening. Let me get off. I still have my coffee. Does that make any sense? It does. And and I have an interesting story about that, too. But sometimes it's like there's this it's this security blanket, right? Like that was the thing that was holding on that he was holding on to. And that's what he's going to leave with. He came on the train with it. He's going to leave with it. Um, And, you know, I I have a friend and a colleague um, who was in the military at Fort Hood when the second Fort Hood shooting started. And he was in the room where it happened. And one of the things that he told me was that what he he was holding on to a stack of papers. And he was saying, you know, in the military, you, you have to hold on to all of these papers. They're so important. And he's like, all I could think about during the shooting was I can't lose this stack of papers. Wow. And so it's really interesting, just kind of in, in the midst of a crisis like that, what, what people's brains will go to. Um, and, it, and it 
in a way, it does serve as a sense of safety, right? Because then you're not focused on all the trauma going on around you. It kind of gives you a little bit of an escape for a moment. DrKuhlman.com, K-U-H-L-M-A-N.com. Uh, Go there. It's uh, Dr. Catherine Kuhlman. We get to call her Katie here. So as we're watching this unfold, you said something earlier that was interesting. You don't really register immediately that it's a gunshot that you're hearing. And I, although I've got guns and I go to the range, I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, the normal person necessarily riding the subway in New York. Um, and you might not realize that it's a gunshot. I mean, it's o- always glorified and amplified and louder and different on a movie or on a television show. When you're o- on the subway, you hear a loud noise. You're thinking, bah, it's just subway noise. You probably, I mean, that's probably why it doesn't register, right? A, you don't think anybody's going to shoot up the subway. And B, you might not audibly know what it sounds like. Right. There's, we, we live in a state of denial and living in a state of denial does serve to protect us most of the day. If we just walked around, you know, the world thinking that we were going to be the victim of a mass shooting at any given moment, we would never leave our house. So we do have to have a healthy sense of denial, but you're right. You know, you hear a sound on the subway, you think, okay, maybe it's a bump or like there's a scrape or something. Maybe it's something electrical or who knows. Right. Right. And, you know, even people who are trained with guns like you and I, right, like we know what we can probably decipher the sound between a gunshot and a firework, for example. But in the midst of a crisis like that, you know, of course, number one, no one's wearing ear protection. So it's going to sound a little bit different. And and but the environment is completely different. And so what the body does and how it reacts, it, it can vary. And so, yeah, you don't always really catch it right away. Uh, back in the, the mid to late 90s, my wife and I and a couple of our kids went to New York and we, we were riding the subway. And for some reason, it jumps out at me that it was the seven subway. I don't know why. Maybe it wasn't. But I think it was the seven. And we're on there. And we've got like kids in strollers. And we're waiting to go see the World Trade Center or something. And a group of young men got on the on the train, four or five of them, pretty big, uh, late teens. And they said, everybody's attention. We're going to do a dance for you. You're going to watch the dance, and then you're going to give us all your money. And we're going, oh, man. I mean, we're getting robbed right now. And it was interesting because at that moment, some guy looked like he'd worked in the construction job all day stands up, walks up to them, says something quietly in the one guy's ear, and the guy says, all right, we got to go. Have a good day. And then they were gone. Obviously, there was an undercover cop. There was security on these subway lines. There is a, a, a change in the safety of New York City, Chicago, Philadelphia, Detroit because of the defund the police movement. I don't think, and I'm pretty clear on this, that there was a cop on that train today. There used to be in the mid-late 90s when Rudy Giuliani was the mayor, there used to be a cop on every, on every train, usually undercover, to make sure that you're safe. We can't feel safe like that anymore. But what, are your, what are your thoughts when it comes to the, the life and times of an NYPD officer today compared to the, to the mid-late 90s when they did have support, when they were out there to do their job to protect and serve? Now they're the, they're the target most of the time of somebody's angst and we've literally taken away the amount of police officers we used to have, making something like today possible to happen. Well, exactly. And, you know, I, I feel like a lot of these larger cities, not only have they stripped funding away um, and there's an overall just distrust and um you know, people don't like police in a lot of these larger cities. And as a result, police departments are not, you know, they don't have the resources to put officers on trains or to put them in these, these roles where they really are serving more as a proactive type of 
of role because they're so focused on responding call to call to call because, again, they just don't have the number of bodies to, to do what they need to do. And so that that's huge for, for law enforcement officers. That's not why they get into the profession in the first place most right. of the time. They get into it because they, they want to help protect their communities and they want to, you know, trust the community and have the community trust them and have great relationships and they want they truly want to protect and serve. And so that's really unfortunate. And if I'm a cop in NYC right now, I don't even want to be on that subway, yeah. uh, you know, just for my fear of my own safety. And, you know, th- there's this just overarching feeling in a lot of these cities where if, if you're a cop, you're not going to admit that to people. You're not going to say, yeah, I'm a law enforcement officer, because like you said, it puts a target on their back. And there's the this just sense of lawlessness and criminals do have the upper hand, especially in New York. Clinical psychologist, Dr. Katie Kuhlman. Uh, Katie, I appreciate the insight. You know, I was uh, at the gym today on the treadmill. I'm looking up. There's CNN here, and there's Fox over here. Fox is reporting the facts in the case. CNN had Eric Adams, the mayor of New York, complaining about gun violence, complaining about guns doing this and too many guns in the street. Then he gives a number of how many guns there are on the street. Uh, of course, you and I both know that a gun is an in- inanimate object. It can't get up and shoot anybody. My friend Ted Nugent says he's got a machine gun uh, that, that's been sitting on his kitchen table for three days, and it still hasn't shot, shot anybody. He's surprised. Um, this isn't about the tool they're using. This is about a violent mentality. This is about a knowledge that there probably won't be any police there to stop me from doing it. And this is, this is about not protecting the people. What do you say to people who are sort of middle of the road? Let's say they're not left, they're not right. They're sort of just right down the middle Americans who don't know what to think about this gun talk. Uh, guns are bad. Second Amendment is bad. You had Biden yesterday talking about the, the Second Amendment and how he wants to get rid of assault rifles. And some guy out hunting deer said, hey, why do you want to take away my magazines and my assault rifles? And Biden says, well, you can't get the deer before it runs away. The Second Amendment has nothing to do with deer. You and I both know that. It has to do with protecting ourselves, our stuff, and our people from tyranny of government and also from bad guys. So what do you say to somebody who just isn't sure what to think about guns in America today? Well, people really need to do the research. You know, a lot of the people who are, you know, staunch anti-gun, they don't know anything about firearms. They think that an assault rifle is an actual thing. Um, they think that, um, you know, when you hear the word semi-automatic, that it's that it's a machine gun. And right. that, that couldn't be further from the truth, right? And so what I would really like to see is that before pe- anybody makes a decision, that they actually do some research and they learn about, you know, how firearms operate um, how they're used and the actual statistics. And the reality is too, is that we want the good guys to outweigh the bad guys, right? Bad people and criminals, they simply don't follow laws. And it's not like we can go back completely to the drawing board and just get rid of guns across the board. I mean, guns are here to stay that we, we are a nation that owns guns. And so, um, we have to figure out a way then to, to, to have, make sure that the good guys have them. And so that's what I would say. If people are middle of the road, you really, we're not going to live in a society without guns. And so which side are you going to be on? Um, be well-informed, listen to both sides, and then make a decision. DrKuhlman.com is your website, K-U-H-L-M-A-N. Uh, make sure you go and check out Dr. Ka- uh, Catherine Kuhlman. Uh, Katie, what you said is is so ex- exactly what it, where I was trying to get with the not having a good guy with a gun on the subway. When you have fewer police officers that are good guys with guns, and then add to that places like Chicago, New York City, some of the hardest places to get a, a license to carry. I'm in Texas. I can carry my gun anywhere I want, uh, and and I'm a good guy. I'm not going to hurt anybody. I, I hope to never ever shoot the gun in an aggressive manner towards anybody else. I will if I have to defend. But but that's really the bottom line. We've got 400 million guns in the country, and and most of them will never ever shoot anybody. The bad guys are somehow doing bad things, and instead of 
uh, focusing on on the nature of the crime, we focus on the weapon that was used. Do you think, as a, as a clinical psychologist, are we doing anything to tell would be criminals that we're going to stop you before you do it by by complaining about the tool they used? No, no, not at all. And if you look at these, a lot of these larger cities, what what they're doing with bail reform, you have violent criminals, they get arrested, and it becomes a revolving door with jail. They're in jail for a little bit, they get out on probation, and then they go back and commit crimes all over again. Um, and, and so we have to think about the message that is sending to criminals and would-be criminals. And that message is that it's really not that big of a deal. You can get away with it. You're just going to be in jail for a couple of days. It's really not serving the deterrent that it should be. What's interesting is I have this argument about capital punishment. I have no idea what your, what your thoughts are on capital punishment. But I'm for capital punishment in that if you kill somebody, and I'm also for it if you rape somebody or, or you're a pedophile, but that's a different story completely. But if that's there and that's looming, if you do this crime, you'll die. Um, I think that that could be a pretty good deterrent. The argument from the other side is there's no proof of that. If you, if you go and see those who are being put to death, others aren't not doing the crime because they could be put to death. And my answer to that, of course, is how do you know? I mean, if they didn't, if they didn't kill somebody, how do you know that they didn't kill somebody because of that deterrent that was there? They might have thought to themselves, "I'd like to kill that guy, but I don't want to die as a result." How can you ever quantify that? So, when it comes to punishments as a deterrent, psychologically, in the mind of somebody who could be a criminal, isn't, but is thinking about committing some crimes, they really do work, right? I mean, you're, you're looking at California where you could walk in and steal nine hundred fifty dollars from the CVS, and nobody's even going to stop you. There's no deterrent. Well, the problem is, is, you know, and if you want to you know, kind of dumb this down and, and talk about like raising a child and w- when you punish a child, you don't wait six months to exactly. punish them for something that they did. Right. Punishments in order to be effective or, or in order to be a deterrent moving forward have to be they have to be swift and they have to be in line with what the, the crime or the bad behavior was. Right. They ha- there has to there can't be a lot of time that's passed by. And so we have criminals. They. It takes two years to go to trial, sometimes even longer, especially if it's if it's a capital crime. Um, they're sitting in jail until then, but it's you know it, it's it's cushy and typically they're in solitary confinement anyway, and they're right. you know kind of protected. Um, but then if they get the death penalty, you're looking at so many years of appeals, and so by the time that actually happens, is it a deterrent? Not really, because there's so many options to change up the sentence and 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 go back, and so. Unfortunately, the way that our judicial process works, because it's so slow, oftentimes doesn't serve as the deterrent that it should. DrKuhlman.com. Go to our website, Dr. Catherine Kuhlman, clinical psychologist. Last question, Doc. Um, I've got to know, when it comes to, because you deal with first responders a lot in your practice, when it comes to the left now saying, well, we don't really want to defund the police, let's refund the police. We're not really going to defund them. We're seeing Black Lives Matter, the leaders of that organization, buying $6 million mansions here, there, and in Canada. And they're just using the money that was donated. So they weren't really serious about, about going and helping, you know, Philly and New York and Chicago. What are you hearing from the first responders? Do they believe the 180 that's being done by those who wanted to defund the police? Do they believe that we're waking up to BLM, the organization, was just a, a way to embezzle money from people who were donating? Or, or, or are they skeptical still? Well, they're absolutely skeptical. You know, what, you got to walk your talk. And right now, it's it's all just... It's all just talk. Yeah. Um, politicians can say whatever they want, but until they're actually doing something about it, um, no one's going to believe it. And I think right now, just because you know we've got an election coming up, um, it, it, is this just you know because it wasn't a good look politically, or because there's some actually truth behind it? We'll see.
Well, I mean, it's it's very, very pertinent that you said there's an election coming up because they even tried to say Republicans were the ones that tried to defund the police. That's how stupid the whole thing is. Uh, Katie, I appreciate you. It's Dr. Catherine Kuhlman. Go to drkuhlman.com. Thanks so much for coming on and great knowledge, especially today with that in New York. Thank you so much. Have a good one. All right. We're back after this. Stay right here. Joe Pags. Glad to have you. Thanks a lot for stopping by the Joe Pags Show. 888-941-PAGS. Stop by J-O-E-P-A-G-S.com, JoePags.com. All the social media there. Pick your favorite site. Click click on it and go follow me over there. Uh, also, if you scroll down to the bottom, you can send me an email at the contact button. Just click on contact. That email comes right to me during the program. Got to remind you about Eden Pure and this uh, wonderful proven oxy technology that they use in their thunderstorm air purifier. Quickly destroys viruses, odors, mold, and more. It freshens your entire home. And again, those odors are no match. The, again, they call it the thunderstorm because after a thunderstorm goes through, there's this great fresh smell that's in the air. That's what you get from these purifiers all day, all night long. It gets rid of uh, odors like litter boxes, trash cans, cigarette smoke, dirty diapers, a lot more too. Over 200,000 of these have been sold, so it works very well. And people are coming back and buying more for their friends, their family. We're doing it, uh, as a matter of fact. Get a three-pack right now and save 200 bucks. How do you do that? I'll tell you the details in a minute. Just got an email from somebody asking about this as well. Never breathe dirty air again. No filters to buy. Takes up no floor space. And it plugs right into the wall. It's almost silent. Great for use in bedrooms. And, and again, we have them in our, in, in our house. We're sending them out to our, fam- our family and our friends as well. EdenPureDeals.com. That's the website. EdenPureDeals.com. Use discount code PAGS3. P-A-G-S, the number three, save $200. EdenPureDeals.com, use discount code PAGS3, save 200 bucks. Shipping is free as well. I, I love what, uh, what the doctor had to say about how people react and also about the use of deterrence in our society. Without deterrence, what exactly is it that's going to stop a bad guy from doing a bad thing or a bad gal, whatever? What exactly is going to stop them? Again, if there are two cars that are identical right next to each other and a car th- thief wants to steal one, he's going to steal the one that doesn't have a flashing red light inside indicating there's an alarm. Why? They're always looking for the path to, uh, of least resistance. The path of least resistance when it comes to shooting up a train is going on a train where you don't think anybody has any guns. So we should change that. 888-941-PAGS, JoePags.com. Keep it here. Coming back. This is the Joe Pags Show. 